We're in a sermon series uh, based on Jesus' amazing Sermon on the Mount, in which he calls us to live lives that are countercultural and really radical, which is why we're calling the series Be the Revolution. So today we come to a passage of scripture in which he continues his conversation with his audience, with us, on how to express our devotion to God in radical, life-changing ways. So with that as an introduction, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's truth. Stand if you're able. Reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. Jesus is speaking to us. Let's hear God's truth. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Here ends the reading of scripture. You may be seated. So today happens to be Thanksgiving Sunday, the Sunday that precedes a time when many of us will gather with family and friends and will eat a lot of good food, turkey, pie, all kinds of things, maybe watch some football. So then you come to church and discover that the topic of the morning is fasting. Yeah. I can just imagine some of your reactions to this right now. Here here are some that I'm imagining. Whoopee, can't wait, bring it on. Okay, maybe not. Others are thinking, whose idea was it to preach a sermon on fasting the Sunday before Thanksgiving? Okay, this guy right here. Okay, so I'm the guilty one. But certainly in a culture that greatly appreciates gatherings for Thanksgiving and eating a lot of good food and all of that, this whole topic of fasting seems out of place, doesn't it? In terms of, of the, uh, the nature of, of all of this and the timing. And yet here in Matthew chapter six, fasting is another one of these religious activities that Jesus draws to our attention. Now he introduces this entire section back in verse one of this chapter in which he says the following by way of warning. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness, he calls them, that is your expressions of devotion, your religious activities before others to be seen by them. Or as another translation, the New English Bible renders it, be careful not to make a show of your religion. Following this warning then, Jesus applies it with respect to three examples. Now they're just examples. We shouldn't think that our religious activity is limited to these three examples that he's gonna give us because really the warning applies to every expression of our devotion to God. But he talks about, first example, warns about how we go about giving verses two to five, then he applies it to the matter of prayer in verses five to 15, and now thirdly, with respect to this matter of fasting. It strikes me that many of us over the years have probably heard 
a fair share number of sermons on the first of these two, giving and prayer. But I think it's possible for many people to grow up in an average Western evangelical church and maybe hear little or nothing on the topic of fasting. I wonder what your story would be. I wonder if you've ever heard any teaching on the topic, for example, then of fasting. Now, why is that the case? What would account for an almost total disregard of the topic of fasting? Well, I can think of several reasons, and maybe you have some additional thoughts. One would be that some might think, well, this is just an Old Testament legalistic idea. We're under grace now. We don't need all of that instruction of the Old Testament about such things as fasting. Well, we're going to see this morning that is certainly an erroneous idea and an understanding of what the Old Testament teaches. But beside that, perhaps another reason and a greater reason for the lack of emphasis in our culture today, our evangelical world, tends to be our self-indulgence. Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, makes the following comment. If we don't have three meals a day with several snacks in between, we think we're on the verge of starvation. That's oftentimes the case. Whatever though the reasons might be for the disregard of this whole topic, I want us to see this morning that fasting is certainly a practice that is rooted in scripture and in the lives historically of God's people, something, an expression of our discipleship to Christ that can be very meaningful and very beneficial. And yet, I need to confess to you that um, I know very little in practice about the topic of fasting. Maybe like you, it certainly wasn't part of my uh, practice growing up. It wasn't my understanding, I wasn't taught it in the churches that I attended as a young Christian. And really it wasn't until many years later after pastoring for a period of time that I came to learn that really the Bible has a lot to say on this particular theme. So let me walk you through some of the things I've learned over the years um, as it relates to this topic of fasting that serves then as an introduction to what we're gonna be considering this morning. For example, I learned first of all that the Old Testament, yes, has a lot to say on the topic of, of fasting. God commanded his people, his followers, in the days of the Old Testament to practice fasting one day a year. That was it in connection with an annual time of feasting and, and public repentance and sacrifice called the Day of Atonement, typically practiced, in fact, to this very day by believing Jews uh, in the month of, of our month of September. But there are also times in the scriptures of the Old Testament where leaders would ask the entire nation to come together for a period of fasting. Oftentimes in connection with a national crisis of some time, of some kind, like uh, a threatened invasion. But God only commanded one day to fast in the scriptures of the Old Testament. Now, when we turn the page forward to the time of Jesus, we discover that he certainly approved of fasting. We read in the scriptures, Matthew 4, Luke chapter 4, that Jesus began his public ministry by engaging in fasting, 40 days and 40 nights. And then when we come to this passage here in Matthew 6, 
we find that Jesus is assuming that his followers are going to fast. He doesn't say, if you fast, but when you fast. And he uses the exact same formula to introduce the topic of fasting that he used in connection with introducing his teaching on giving in prayer, indicating that Jesus is assuming, yes, that his followers are going to be practicing fasting. He gives it his approval. We continue the journey historically and we come to the time of the early church and we discover that the apostles practiced fasting. We read in Acts chapters 13 and 14 that God's people, uh, churches in fact, practiced fasting on several occasions. So we can't regard fasting as sort of an Old Testament practice that has no relevance for us today. The fact that Jesus approved of it, the fact that it was practiced by the early church indicates it's something that could be a benefit to you and to me today as well. Okay, following the period of the New Testament, throughout the history of the church, in every single era, we discover that God's people have practiced fasting. You come down to the time of the Reformation. Martin Luther, John Calvin wrote about it, practiced it. A little bit later on in the 1700s in England, John and Charles Wesley, here in our country, Jonathan Edwards, the great theologian and uh, philosopher, practiced fasting and encouraged others to do the same. It strikes me that uh, today, those believers who tend to practice fasting on a regular basis, for whatever reasons, tend to come from Southeast Asian countries. China, Korea, Philippines, uh, Vietnam, and other countries in that part of the world. I'm not sure exactly why, but these believers certainly feel that fasting is of great value. So, in terms of summary of all of that, we really can't then dismiss fasting as either an Old Testament practice abrogated by the New Testament or as something reserved for early Christians but has no relevance for us today. So with that as a background, I'm going to attempt to answer the three questions you see in your sermon notes. What is fasting? When should we consider fasting? And how do we go about doing it? So I want to answer the what, when, and how questions pertaining to fasting. So first of all, what is it? Three statements. Uh, you may want to complete these in, in your notes. Here's the first, that strictly speaking, the word that the Bible uses translated to fast literally means to abstain from food. And you're thinking to yourself, yeah, that's exactly what I was afraid of. Yeah, okay, well, that's what it means. You abstain from food, but not necessarily from liquid, certainly not from water. So for example, with reference to Jesus' fast, we read in uh, Luke chapter four, verse two, he ate nothing. Toward the end of his fast, we're told he was hungry and that Satan tempted him to eat, indicating that he was abstaining from food but not from water. And so the Bible refers to 40-day fasts, three-day fasts, three-week fasts, it refers to a one-day fast, which is probably the norm. It refers to individuals who fasted nations that fasted, family fast, individual fast, church fast, 
National fasts, typically in times, as I mentioned earlier, of extreme crisis, such as a military threat. In our own country, several pre presidents have actually urged Americans to fast. Abraham Lincoln, for example, during the dark days of the Civil War, urged uh, citizens to fast. Now, no doubt, some people shouldn't engage in fasting without medical approval of their physician. But at any rate, the idea behind it is to uh, abstain from food. So that's why we call the first meal of the day, what? Breakfast. Because we're breaking our fast from the night before, during which presumably we didn't have anything to eat. So that's first. That's what the word means. Secondly, to add to our understanding of what is fasting, we can say this, that the biblical notion of fasting is that people abstain from food for certain spiritual reasons. In the ancient world, preparing for a meal was a major undertaking. They didn't have refrigeration, didn't have microwave ovens, other appliances that made the preparation of meal uh, less time consuming. They'd have to grow their own food or make frequent trips during the week to the local market, all of those things. So it, it was a very time consuming task. And for that matter, so was eating. It wasn't a fast food deal, you know, snarf down your meal and then get on with life. They would often regard a meal time as a time for the family to get together, relatives, come on in, you know, friends, neighbors, whatever, and they would engage in a lot of conversation. So very time consuming tasks. So the idea was, instead of spending all of that time preparing the meal and then actually eating it, individuals, uh, families, for example, for certain spiritual reasons, would choose to abstain to concentrate more intently on the things of God. So, moderation in eating, either to lose weight or to control one's weight, is not really fasting. Neither is giving up candy or ice cream for Lent. No. There are many verses in scripture that talk about the practice of self-discipline and moderation, things that should be done all the time. But fasting isn't something you do all the time. Fasting is something unusual. It's occasional. It's done periodically, volitionally, for a, a definite spiritual purpose. Self-discipline is something we should be doing all the time. So in terms of, of a definition, here's what I've come up with. Combining these first two uh, principles we've looked at, fasting involves abstaining from food to cultivate one's personal relationship with God. Okay, what I'm about to say in the third of these might seem like a contradiction to everything I've just been saying. I don't think it is, but you might regard it that way. In spite of the definition, then, fasting should not necessarily be confined to the matter of food. I've already mentioned in the ancient world, preparing the meal, eating the meal, very time consuming. Well, today in our society, with all of these uh, appliances that help reduce all of that prep time, for example, maybe there are other things legitimate in and of themselves, but nevertheless that we could back away from in terms of their usage for the purpose of spending time in the presence of God. 
What am I thinking of? Well, I'm thinking, for example, that sometimes we may want to fast from the media. Maybe, too, from work you tend to enjoy listening to talk radio. Maybe you decide not to do that. Maybe you decide for a period of time you're not going to watch TV. Now, obviously, those are things we can do, but there are also times we might choose to abstain. So I think of students, for example, who go on a retreat. Our Velocity students recently went on a retreat and uh, up in Duluth, they were involved in a service project there, did some other things. So let's just imagine, for the sake of the illustration, some of these students come back, parents ask, okay, how did things go? And several of these students respond by saying, oh, mom, dad, it was awesome. It was tremendous. God just got a hold of me. It was, a, it was, a, it was just a great time. We might describe it, in fact, as a spiritual high. What happened? Well, maybe, just maybe, they were freed up from media distractions for a long enough period of time for God to get their attention. Well, you don't have to go on a retreat for that or be a member of Velocity. I mean, retreats are great. But you and I can decide for a period of time, whatever that might be, hour, two hours, an evening, several evenings, to fast from the media in order to spend time in Bible reading and prayer. Let me give you an illustration. David Wilkerson lived in the city of New York for many years. Here's his picture. And um, during that period of time, he made a decision. He said, you know, I, I think I should um, abstain from late night television watching. But then he thought, no, I don't think I really want to do that. I mean, it helps me to relax at the end of a long day. It helps me unwind. I enjoy watching something that's sort of mindless on TV. Or he would say, you know, I think I need to watch some of these shows because my friends talk about them the following days. And as a Christ follower, I need to know what's going on in the world. And so he gave himself all of these reasons, but then said, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to abstain from late night television watching to spend time reading scripture and, and just in prayer and fellowship with the Lord. During this same period of time, he began to notice a number of teenagers in the city where he lived, gang leaders, gang members who had significant drug-related issues. And he thought, you know, there's, there's nothing here for these kids. There's absolutely no program to help them to deal with these issues of life. And so wouldn't you know it, as a result of not watching late night television, God began to burden his heart to be the one to start a ministry, which was not only powerfully used by God in the city of New York, but began to spread to other cities, including right here in Minneapolis. Have you ever heard of Minnesota Teen Challenge? It is a ministry that has helped thousands of young people to deal with their addiction issues coming from this area of our state and, in fact, from other states. It's, God has greatly used it. And it all began with David Wilkerson deciding he was going to fast from late-night television watching. You might decide to fast from cell phone use, text messaging, social media, whatever. 
But it seems to me, if we understand what fasting is, a period of abstinence from legitimate activities for certain spiritual purposes, then I think we'll see the essence of fasting can be achieved in all kinds of ways in addition to giving up food. So that's our answer to the first question, what is fasting? All right, when should we fast? Would you like to know how many times the Bible commands us to fast? Answer, zero. We're never commanded to fast, never commanded, no regulations then about its frequency, its extent, or even its occasion. So God never commands us to fast, but what we can do is to go to scripture, examine those times during which God's people did fast and say to ourselves, you know, if I'm in similar life circumstances, maybe I should consider fasting too. So with that in mind, let me share with you four times that um, we might wanna fast. Here's the first, we might wanna fast to demonstrate the reality of our repentance from sin. There are a number of times in scripture when we're told that people were deeply distressed over their sin. And so to express their repentance in a physical way, in addition to weeping, they might also engage in fasting. It strikes me that there are times when we want to heal too quickly from our sin. We wanna confess it and get on with God, you know, get on with life as far as that goes. God promises forgiveness, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin, amen, let's go, okay. But sometimes I think we're wanting to heal too quickly. Sometimes we need to feel what our sin has done in terms of grieving the Lord and in addition to that, the hurt that it may have brought to other people. I'm not suggesting, please hear this, I'm not suggesting that we use fasting as a means to sort of beat ourselves up. No, that's not it at all. But it's a way of drawing our attention to what our sin did, perhaps even to other people, to the point where we want to hate it and say to ourselves, God, by your grace, I never want to do anything like this again. So we may during those times wanna show God the depth of our sorrow by fasting. Let me give you an example of this in scripture, just one for the sake of time. Nehemiah 9.1, we read the following. The Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing this heavy coarse material, sackcloth. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and their wickedness. So today, when we're convicted of some particular wrong and are grieved over what we did to other people and to, to the Lord, instead of offering up this quick prayer and getting on with life, maybe, just maybe, it's appropriate to demonstrate the reality of our grief by fasting. It may then add, actually, to the healing process. So that's one occasion. Secondly, we may want to fast when facing a very important decision in life. Let me give you quickly three examples of this from scripture. Ezra proclaimed the fast. Well, to what end? Ezra 8:21, So that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children. 
In Acts 13, we read that the church is facing a major decision. They're sending out missionaries for the very first time, Paul and Barnabas, but they decided that they would do that only following a time of prayer and fasting. Flip the page to Acts chapter 14, verse 23, church leaders are chosen only after a time of prayer and fasting. So I think the evidence is there. Life-changing decisions need special concentrated periods of prayer and concentrated periods of prayer can certainly be accompanied by fasting. So maybe this morning, you're unsure about a career decision that you need to make. Maybe you've been uh, invited by some other company uh, to uh, join them, but it's gonna uh, mean a, a move for you and your family. You're not sure about that, uprooting the family to uh, take this new position. Or maybe within the organization that employs you, there's an opportunity for some change, making more money, additional responsibility, you're kind of excited about that, but then you begin to think, you know what? It's gonna mean less time with the kids. Is this something I really wanna do? You know, and you just don't know what God would have in mind for you. It's a trade, what do you do? Maybe you're thinking about, as a couple, um, adopting a child. Maybe you're thinking, on the other hand, of you're, you're a student about to graduate from high school and you're thinking, what do I do with my life? If I go to college, university somewhere, where do I go? I've got these key options. I don't even know what my major should be. I'm not even sure about that. So maybe you want to, as a young person, spend some time in prayer and fasting for the guidance of God. Or it could be, you know, a major decision involving a relationship. You're thinking about marriage, not too sure about this person. Okay, so what do you do? Well, have you ever thought about fasting? Why not spend a block of time thinking about it, praying about it, talking to some trusted Christian friends who know you well about your options, and... Um, fasting from television, social media, food, whatever it might be, to give yourself to that kind of a focus. So have you thought about fasting? So those are some options to think about. We may fast to demonstrate the reality of, our, of repentance. We might want to fast when facing an important decision. By the way, our church will be facing a very important decision sometime down the road over the course of the next few months when the pastor search committee comes forward with a, the name of a candidate to consider calling to the office of senior pastor of this church. Could very well be. We will, as a congregation, want to spend time, concentrated period of time in prayer and in fasting, seeking the mind and the heart of God regarding that key decision. All right, thirdly, we may want to fast in order to learn something about self-discipline. Say, do we really want to go there? <laughs> Again, countercultural teaching of Scripture. But the Apostle Paul emphasizes self-discipline in 1 Corinthians 9, gives the illustration of the athlete. Corinth was known for its Olympic-style games. It had a great uh, stadium there for sports, something like our, the Olympics. And so he talks about the athlete who's in training, strict diet, 
getting to bed on time, getting a proper amount of rest and exercise and, and training, all of that kind of stuff. And so he then applies that to living the Christian life. I think it's very easy for many of us to become self-indulgent to the point where we essentially deny ourselves no pleasure or experience that's in our power to buy. So fasting is a way of saying, you know what? I just refuse to crave things I don't need to the point where they really enslave me. I want my body even to be subject to the rule of Christ, not to stuff, not to pleasure, not to comfort. So we might want to fast to learn something about self-control and self-discipline. Let me give you one more. We also may want to consider fasting to share with others in need what we might have otherwise spent on food or some other activity. Now there's biblical warrant for this practice in Isaiah chapter 58. So here the people of God remind the Lord that they had been fasting, but had not experienced the desired results. And so they complain. Why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you haven't noticed? So God gives this answer. On the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Wow. And then he goes on to add the following. The kind of fasting I want calls you to free those who are wrongly imprisoned and to stop oppressing those who work for you. Treat them fairly and give them what they earn. I want you to share your food with the hungry and to welcome poor wanderers into your homes. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. So there you go. <laughs> so in our day, you know, we might want to have an occasional, what is sometimes called a hunger lunch. Say, what in the world is a hunger lunch? Well, let's say your habit is to go out to an area restaurant you know, several times in a month or stop off at your favorite uh, caribou or Starbucks or whatever and get to your latte several times in a week. And so you decide, you know what? There are a few times in a week or in, a, in an average month, I'm just gonna not go there. And the money I would have spent on that coffee or, uh, you know, at the restaurant, I'm gonna collect that and periodically give that chunk of money that I've been saving up to something like Feed My Starving Children or World Vision um, or some other such organization. So these are forms of fasting, I think, that please God because they express the concern for the poor. So four purposes or times we might want to consider fasting. So I want you to wrestle with this question this morning. How could fasting be of help to you. Are there times you ought to think about fasting to express sorrow for sin? Are there times you ought to seek God's direction? You're about to make a major decision. Or maybe it's fasting to help you learn something about self-discipline or for that matter to identify with the needs and the concerns of the poor. Okay, we've considered two of our three questions, the what and the when. How about the how? 
Well, there are some attitudes and approaches regarding fasting that we certainly need to avoid. Let me mention two. One is what one author calls the vending machine approach to fasting. You say, what in the world is that? Well, you know what a vending machine is. Put your money in the, in the slot, turn it, crank, you know, and out pops your gumball, right? So the idea is you put your fast in the slot, turn it, and out pops God's blessing. It's sort of all automatic and guaranteed. Evidently, this was the approach of the Pharisee that Jesus tells about in the story recorded in, in uh, Luke chapter 18. He tells us about this Pharisee who goes up to the temple, stands in a prominent spot so everybody can see that he's praying, and he begins, Lord, I thank you I'm not like others. I fast twice a week. You got that, God? You aware of it? I mean, that's got to be of some benefit, right? I hope you're taking that into account. I hope we all understand that our religious works do not merit God's acceptance in any way. What we do receive from God is totally of his grace. When we entrust ourselves to Jesus Christ by faith, God declares that we have right standing in the eyes of his law, and he forgives us of everything in our past, present, and future. We are totally accepted on the basis of our faith in Jesus Christ. But you see, what this mechanical idea is can easily even slip into the Christian life. You know, you hear somebody's great, amazing story. I was living this powerless life lacked assurance of my acceptance with God, but I fasted and I gained the power and the assurance. And so if you want power in your Christian life, you want assurance, you need to fast too. Uh, well, to me, that's a very dangerous approach. I mean, the moment we're saying things like, because I fasted, God's blessing is sort of deserved, we're controlling the outcome, the blessing and it's no longer than of grace. So that's one error to avoid. A second one, and here we come back to our text, is, is uh, wanting to fast as a way of calling others' attention to how spiritual we are. So this is the danger Jesus addresses here in describing the Pharisees. This is what he says in verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. Now, we just learned from the story about Jesus, Pharisees typically fasted twice a week. What days? Mondays, Thursdays. Why Mondays and Thursdays? Well, they happened to be the days when the market was open, and you'd have all of these shoppers coming to a city like Jerusalem. So if your intent is to want other people to see you as this great spiritual leader and giant, you have more people in the city that can observe all of that. In fact, Jesus indicates here, some Pharisees even went to the extent of taking some ashes, smearing it on their faces as a way of accentuating their paleness, like what happened if uh, you, know, you weren't eating for a period of time. It's all intended to draw attention to themselves. And so Jesus adds, you know what? They have received their reward in full. 
or as J.B. Phillips renders it in his paraphrase, believe me, they have all the reward they're gonna get. They've wanted human recognition, the applause of other people, and they're gonna get them, but that's it. So Jesus says, avoid fasting to call attention to yourself. All right, with those two attitudes to avoid, how do we do it then? What's the positive? Well, here he asserts the following. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. Now, he's not saying, go out of your way to conceal the fact that you're fasting. I mean, you know, like give the opposite impression. That's not it either. I mean, if I'm fasting and I'm trying to give the impression I'm not fasting, that's can be just another form of hypocrisy. What he's really saying is, you know, just, just be yourself, be natural. There certainly isn't anything unusual about somebody in a hot Palestinian climate putting oil on their head to protect themselves from the heat of the day and sunburn and those kinds of things or just washing their face, right? So he's saying, you know, just be yourself. Avoid looking sad by putting this big smile on your face you know, forget your face, forget all of this stuff, just be natural before God. And what's the result? Verse 18, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now the reward may not be a raise in pay, may not be you get the corner office, may not be you make first team, you know, in the, on your sports at school, no. I think it's the reward of the father's presence leading to assurance of forgiveness for those who fast to demonstrate repentance, leading to guidance and decision-making, leading to the gift of the Holy Spirit for self-control, leading to increased concern for others in need. So, with rewards like those, aren't you ready to at least consider the possibility at some point of fasting in some form so really the question for you to grapple with today and me is the question, how are we gonna to seek to apply the teaching of Jesus on fasting as a spiritual discipline? What will you consider fasting from? When will you consider fasting and for what reason? Friends, just as it's wise to learn to walk before figuring out how to run, it's always a good thing to start with something that's basic. Maybe for you it's a one meal fast or it's giving up a portion of the time you would normally give to TV watching, whatever, in order to focus on reading scripture and spending time with God. But here's the deal. If fasting has been a means that the Lord has employed to bring spiritual challenge and renewal and blessing to his people, let's fast in a way that recognizes that while God hates hypocrisy, he loves reality, and he promises to draw near to those who diligently seek him. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for every means that you give us that we might come to know you better. And so to that end, we ask you to direct us concerning this whole topic of fasting. Help us, Lord, 
to avoid the pitfalls we talked about of trying to impress others or thinking that salvation is somehow resulting from the performance of religious acts. Father, instead, help us to draw near to you as your children with an intensity of desire that will not be satisfied until we've met with you in genuine worship and fellowship and adoration. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.